It's just easier to do business in places where you're part of the community. Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. Joining me today, we've got a full house. We've got Akish and Amber. How are you both? Yeah, very good, Dave. Very, How are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, good, good. Back on a terra firma in the UK after a few uh, weeks travelling about. Last week in New York, which is what today's episode is reflecting on, because of course Thursday is Thanksgiving. Oh, yes, it is. Dave, you're a hard band to pin down. You're all over the place at the moment. No, no, in the UK now oh, for a okay. good six weeks. Oh, oh you going to be all right with that? Six or? weeks. Oh, <laughs> I'll be fine with that, thanks. I'm, I'm quite sure? glad to be home. Yeah. Okay. No, we were in the, we were in New York. Um, have either of you ever been? Yeah, I have. Yes. Recently? No. Um, like four or five years ago. Yeah, mine's about four actually. Yeah. Very cold. I went in the summer. You see. Oh well, there you go. Very cold. Yeah. Very lo- lovely though. Um, subways, lots of fun. Mm. Very community mm. feel. Didn't expect it to smell of weed quite so much as it does. <laughs> Also, I expected it to be a lot more glam. Oh yeah, it's not. It's kind of. It it's kind of. Is. It's like endless, endless shortage. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's a great yeah, way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, where like there's little pockets of like, you know, a bit of like glammy or like you know, kind of. Yeah. Um, I don't know uptownness, but yeah, I just thought I, I thought it'd be a lot more sexier than it was. Uh, but it kind of is in its in its own way. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I have to say, and I thought it was. Everyone always goes, "Oh, you're used to London. It's just like London." It's like, no, it's mm. not, because people live there. It felt, in a way, it felt almost more European with proper cafe culture. And I was sat in a in a cafe, and these two old guys came in, and immediately all the waitresses knew exactly what they wanted without having them order. And then these girls that looked like college girls came in and were talking to this guy about the dog that he obviously walks every day that they see and how cute it is. And it was just. It was it was a kind of a community feel that you don't often get to be perfectly honest in London, which was very nice. Mm, I agree with that. It's it's definitely got its glam areas, but um, yeah, you're right. It's quite a sort of homely place. I don't know why. When I went went there, I just felt like you just sort of like you fit in, don't you? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Do yeah, I don't know whether I fit fitted in, but it was it felt it felt like an easy place. Yeah, to Yeah, definitely. So that's what today's show's about, folks. And if you are American, happy Thanksgiving for Thursday. Um, we hope they have a lovely time with family. Today's interviews uh, reflect what is going on in the New York scene. And we're going to start with an interview with uh, Mike. Uh, he is the founder of Velvet Sea Ventures. So today I'm joined by Mike, Managing Director of Velvet Sea Ventures. Uh, thank you for taking the time to join me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And congrats on everything on your side. Well, that's very kind. Thank you. Um uh, if, if listeners will be aware that we recently celebrated 500 episodes, although as um, uh, if you were listening to that particular episode, then you'll know that actually it wasn't our 500th episode. But yes. uh, as, as my guest co-host at the time said, don't don't ever let facts get in, in the way of a no. good narrative. <laughs> 500 of it doing anything is impressive, even if it's a little short, but you'll be there in no time. Oh, no, no. We're, the problem is we're way over. Yeah. <laughs> we're actually closer to 600 but that's um, bad counting meant yeah, that we just arbitrarily amazing. went actually yeah we'll just celebrate it now well i'm typically the the 600th guest on people's podcast so this is perfect 
Um, before we get into anything else, let's let's explore your background, Mike. How did you get to be in a position um, with with Velvet Sea Ventures and and be in the position of being able to help other companies grow? Yeah, so the story is very simple. I went to Northwestern University, graduated in 1996. While I was at Northwestern University, something called the internet popped up, and I started my first company at Northwestern and. It was really fast, you know, infatuated with the internet and how it was connecting people potentially globally. There were only 13 million people on the internet, but I thought it was important. And so I just continued to start companies. And so I spent most of my time as an operator running media and software companies. The last one, Buddy Media, was sold to Salesforce. And I spent four years at Salesforce, which is, you know, just a phenomenal experience, great company. And then like many entrepreneurs before me, um, you just get tired running companies. And so after 20 some years of starting and running companies, I jumped on the investment side first with my own capital and then with Velvet Sea Ventures, which, um, you know, it's a small firm, has about 400 million assets under management. Um, and we invest in really everything from digital transformation to Web3 and crypto to water liquid death um, we have a space data company called leo lab so we're a generalist firm that um, takes a very operator-led you know multi-stage approach and and look you kind of began to allude to some of the reasons why you might want to have um, joined them there but in particular what was it that attracted you because i imagine as a as a entrepreneur of 27 years you'll have your view on uh on the the investment industry and what is good and what is bad what what drew you towards velvet sea ventures as being a firm that you could affiliate with and work for yeah so i started velvet sea um so like everything else in my career um instead of going to work for someone else i just started it really that would make sense the, the seeds of velvet sea started with just my own investing and so i worked with my wife Cass. we've worked on all of our companies together and now you know the firm and it started with just you know the first 60 deals were out of our own balance sheet so just writing checks into companies that um that we loved and when i say companies really founders so we're really addicted to founders we love founders they're our friends we've you know met thousands over the years um and then you know, Velvet Sea was our ability and our vision to kind of go to the next level, bringing on some outside capital and some partners that could help us, um, you know, really scale on the um, investment side. And so, you know, everyone, all of the solo, you know, venture capitalists, um, you know, no matter how big you are, there's only so much money you're going to write off your own balance sheet. And so being able to have more money just helps us um you know, support our companies much better. When you're bringing someone in, and sorry, this this might be a slight tangent question, but um, we had someone on the show recently talking about the need to bring more diverse investors into the VC world. Um, I would imagine it's it's difficult because you love founders. You probably know what you're looking for um, from the many founders that you met over the years in terms of, right, that's a company that we, we can invest in. And I imagine that when you're bringing someone in as an investor to Velvet Sea Ventures, that you want to know a bit about them to know that they've got the same kind of 
understanding about what makes a, a good company. But at the same time, I suppose that is inherently going to lead you to a group of people that you already know are not necessarily a diverse group of investors. How do you try and balance that between people that you trust, people that you know that you can work with, people that are going to make sound uh, investments and help businesses grow, but also make sure that you're bringing in new ideas and ideas from different sections of, of society? Yeah, so one of the great things about being in New York City and doing what we've done over forever is you just work with all sorts of people. And so we um, you know, are very focused on finding people who think different than the rest of the crowd. And so when we talk about um, founders, we look at really three things kind of, um, you know, in the companies, who are the founders? What have they done? You know, it's very hard to switch founders. And uh, more and more, we're seeing the founders look like the general population at a time when you know, we started our career, it was, you know, everyone looked like me, right? Coming out of Silicon Valley primarily. And, um, you know, now that this startup nation has really swept the nation, um, it, you would be surprised not only in the U.S., but globally, um, every community, they're starting businesses. And so number two is we look at the industry. So um, you can only build a huge company in a huge industry. And three is who is surrounding the companies. We look at who are the co-investors, who are the advisors, have the founders been able to bring people on board. And so that's our primary investment lens. Um, and most of the people who we're investing in are founders who, you know, I'm meeting for the first time. You know, I started my first company in 1994. Let's just say that, you know, there are not a lot of founders who started companies around when I started that are now starting companies again. Um, and so, yeah, we pay very close attention to just, you know, talking to as many different voices as we can. And, uh, and that's led to some just phenomenal um, investments. You know, people like Erica Jane in New York City who had an idea of, um, you know, just really easy to use software for smaller health uh, practices, whether it's doctors, dentists, wellness providers, and she's just built an amazing business. We weren't seeing a lot of people who look like Erica Jane, uh, maybe 10 years ago. And so, um, you know, we go where the entrepreneurs are. We don't go where our friends are. And that's been a big part of our business is just thinking differently than a lot of the uh, established venture investors who we've worked with over the years. I mean, we've worked with, Cass and I have worked with, as investors, everyone from Graycroft to GGV, IVP, Insight, you know, name the firm, and there's a good chance they've invested in us directly. When we have spoken to venture capitalists and investment firms on the show, um, more often than not, they are London-based or they're at least European-based, and they're looking to the US to try and understand what's going on in the US and how Europe may, may or may not be different or, or what, what kind of strengths we can draw from the US. And it tends to be with a lens on the West Coast rather than the East Coast. To kind of build upon what you were talking about a moment ago, what is it about the, the market here in New York and on the East Coast that makes it interesting and, uh, and where the strengths are right now? Yes, yeah, so we've, you know, we're embedded in New York City. And so it's just easier to do business in places where you're part of the community. And if you think of New York City and kind of our specific history, there weren't a lot of startups, you know, in the 1990s that really made it. 
out of New York. And there wasn't a crop of, let's just say these kind of like West Coast mafias, right? Like PayPal starts and there's PayPal mafia, whatever that means, right? We just didn't have those companies. And then fast forward, you have companies, you know, not only companies like Buddy Media, but Flatiron Health and Braves, which is a public company and fintech companies. And, um, and what happens is those employees um, are successful. They make a little money. They start companies. They join other companies. And it creates this network that um, is very healthy. And it's tied into um, local universities or area universities, tied into um, the local VCs. And because it's New York, everyone in the world comes through New York. So, you know, everyone on the West Coast, you know, all of our friends in London, and you know, if you're doing venture or startup stuff in Europe, you're coming to New York. Um, and I don't really look at the West Coast as, you know, the West Coast anymore. I think you have the Bay Area, which is its own ecosystem. And you have Los Angeles, which is really a um, thriving new ecosystem of companies where we, you know, in our portfolio, have um, two of our most successful companies, Liquid Death and a company called Scopely. Um, that also you didn't see as much 10 or 20 years ago. Um, and so, you know, we're in a world where, you know, globalization has brought these ideas everywhere. Um, New York was able to capitalize earlier than many locations, but now you have in the U.S., you know, Austin and Portland and, you know, it's just in Atlanta. There's, um, there's a phenomenal stuff going on in Atlanta, Charlotte, obviously Boston with health tech. Um, so couldn't be more psyched about what's happening, um, you know, throughout the U.S. in venture. You mentioned some of the markets in which you've invested in. You talked a little bit about crypto and Web3. Web3 was very much the buzzword at um, Web Summit two weeks ago. Lots of interest there. And crypto obviously has been in the news and is facing a challenging time right now. Can you just kind of explain your thinking on those two markets and where the challenges and opportunities are? That is a very good question. And I'll try to answer it concisely without going off you know, the deep end. Um, but <laughs> Not too broad, no. Yeah, we, we were very early and passionate about one part of the blockchain area, right? So if you look at blockchain, you have you know, the technology underlying blockchain, you have cryptocurrencies, you have NFTs, which is digital ownership, and you have DeFi, which is the financial products around kind of decentralized finance. And we've really focused in on, and we've been doing it for many years, in digital ownership. And the thesis was very simple for us, which is some of the most valuable, you know, things that we all own, not just our kids, but we own are digital, whether it's photos or, um, you know, or other digital items. And so the idea that you could own something that is inherently, you know, digital, that is just digital because of the blockchain and this trustless ledger was just very powerful. And so, you know, we thought that, you know, it would start in more of the creative markets. So we, the first investor, the Series A investor in Super Rare, which is the leading one-of-one decentralized art marketplace, um, and we've we continued to you know invest in the space from Autograph, which is Tom Brady's NFT company, to Pixel Vault, which is really reinventing and reimagining a media company built around the fan. Um, and so we're still we continue to be very 
bullish on digital ownership. I think what we've seen, you know, in terms of your question, kind of some of the inherent risks is, yeah, we're probably not going to see centralized crypto exchanges like we maybe have seen in the last year. The whole idea behind this technology is it is not centralized. You don't have companies that are too big to fail. And so the idea that, um, you know, you're going to create a new centralized exchange that gets to a global scale, like you've seen with some of the companies that have had issues, um, that's not going to happen. I think you know, I've been very public and I've been writing about the um, toxic nature of leverage in the crypto space. So the idea that we're going to secure this loan with other risky coins, to me, never made sense. Um, we need more business models and use cases that can only exist in Web3 and are empowered by Web3 versus financial shenanigans, which have been a big part of the DeFi experience. So we haven't played in that world as a firm. Um, we, you know, I've always compared it to like the, the credit bureaus and the farm, early farms in the US. Like, you know, you had farming and then there was a financial system that was created to help the farmers buy seeds, finance machines, get more productive, right? Somehow in crypto, the industry started with finance first without the underlying farm, without the underlying business. And the result has been what we've seen over the last year of just the great unraveling of finance for finance's sake in this decentralized world. Um, but I don't think there are many, you know, entrepreneurs or investors who wouldn't bet that the um, blockchain is here to stay. Use cases just haven't um, appeared like we saw with the internet, with e-commerce and some other, you know, inherently digital business models. But that's really what we're here to fund. We're here to fund the future and entrepreneurs who want to build it. Um, and just because a few centralized exchanges got into trouble, you know, that really, for where we sit, you know, we are obviously upset that users lost or potentially lost capital and investors lost money, but it doesn't um, really sway our conviction in the space. One last question. You obviously work with a lot of founders. As you said, you had a, a long career, successful career as an entrepreneur yourself. Given the current climate, and there are some challenges, what would your piece of advice be to any would-be entrepreneur who's trying to grow, who's looking for investment? Capital efficiency is key. So you're not going to be able to grow at any, at any cost. You know, every investor is looking at unit economics again, which you know, I'd like to say we've always done. But the idea of um, you know, gross margin, net income is important. If you can't make it work in a spreadsheet, you're never going to make it work in reality. Because what happens is you create on the spreadsheet and it never goes the way you expect once you launch it, right? Like it's all fun and games until you get punched in the face by the market. And so, um, you know, you have the ability now to go slow, be deliberate, build the foundation for the business. And you're going to have less competition because the money is not free. Like, let's be honest, it was free capital for many, many years. You know, in a world where you can get 4% buying U.S. treasuries, um, you know, capital isn't free. There's a 
cost of investing that capital. And so um, I think it's a great time to start a company. I started Buddy Media in 2007, right before Lehman Brothers and the whole financial collapse. I had a public company in you know 2000, right before the um, you know the great dot com crashed, and the company is still in existence. And so, yeah, when you have zero revenue, the economic environment you operate in isn't as important than when you're doing hundreds of millions of revenue and you have customers and you have currency risk and you have other issues to deal with. So. What I'm telling all of our company is make make sure you're funded. If not, you know, sooner you can get fully funded. Heads down and build. Every dollar needs to be spent like it matters. Spend it like it's yours. Spend it like it's your last dollar. I'm constantly asking the founders who I work with, is this necessary? Is this required to build the business you want to build? And if not, don't spend the money because once it's spent, you can't get it back. And so I like this environment. Maybe it's because I've lived through 9-11 with one company and the, you know, the dot-com crash and the financial collapse and COVID and now whatever's going on in today's, you know, market, which will eventually get a name. It's easy to say. Um, heads down, build. Builders build. Everyone else just explains things away. Thank you very much for your time. Super insightful. Really interesting to hear what's going on in New York. Thank and you. I hope that you continue to help many businesses grow. I appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Thanks. Yeah, Michael uh, Lazaro, Velvet Sea Ventures founder on LinkedIn, 133, nearly 134,000 followers. This is a guy who knows what he's talking about. He does, yeah. Um, and very passionate about obviously the, the organization, the industry they operate in. Um, and also with some, some kind of very good... Uh, I guess just kind of analysis or forward thinking sort of, um, you know, ideas on where the industry is going, where kind of crypto and these exchanges mm -hmm. are kind of landing up and um, yeah, some, some was, kind of, you know, good, good, um, good analysis from him. It was reflective of what we've heard in recent weeks from web summit, which I think I mentioned to him during the interview. Um, web three is obviously a large part of that. If you have a look on their website, I know websites are going to have kind of nice, um, curated uh, kind of um, quotes on there for you to read. But the first thing that you see is a, a quote that says, a ship in port is safe, but that's not what ships are for. And it says, sail out to sea and do new things, which um, for a port city like New York, I thought was was kind of on the ball with, with actually what a, a tech business should be. I quite like the idea that a, sh a ship in safe, sorry, a ship in port is safe, but it's, you know, it's not what it's supposed to do. And um, it's very easy to build safe technology. It's very easy to invest in companies that um, traditionally would be a, a secure return on 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 your money. Web three isn't necessarily that. We've seen the the state of flux in the crypto market at the minute, but actually in, investing in companies that can can be really transformational in the industry is where you want to be, right? Yeah, I, I think so, and also. You want to with, with crypto, right? It, it, it's, I mean, it's been around for I want to say about fifteen years, maybe just just shy, um, or that sort of trend. And there's so much, there's so much on the internet, or you know, around the world, um, 
whether it's exchanges, whether it's new coins, whether it's these crypto traders that are, you know, wanting to make you an overnight billionaire, um, whether it's scams as well, right? Like th this is an area where it's highly kind of um, exposed to fraudulent behavior, to scamming, to phishing, all that sort of cybersecurity stuff. But, you know, the fact that it is some something that, that is being used for, like you said, kind of transformation and kind of upskilling and, and kind of bringing it into the main and into the norm i think um yeah it's massive like that's definitely something that that they can work with i mean you know is is playing it safe gonna solve the economic challenges environmental challenges that we face as a society and as a planet possibly not we need to we need to invest in in new tech and, and i i just like the mantra he talks a lot about um new york as well being um it's just easier to do business in the city he talks about it being a diverse environment we've we've all been to new york it, it does feel like a very diverse city it's got that melting pot um feel that london has that is it's funny it's funny that it's overlooked in conversations that i've had and that might be my failing but when we talk about america we tend to think about the west coast and the east coast offering different things and i went oh hang on a minute the east coast offers everything it is like london in that regard mm. I think as well, like obviously, I mean, other people might say very differently, but when I went, I personally got like a very, we've just touched upon it there as well, like a very friendly feel. Like you said, these guys, uh, or these, these girls, sorry, went into this coffee shop and they started talking to this guy. And I think building relationships um, somewhere like that, I don't think it necessarily comes like it's not difficult to them, maybe, like because they seem like they're quite friendly, they're quite gregarious, they're quite outgoing, they can sort of spark these. Quite, quite American. Quite, yeah, Dennis, quite so. American, exactly. So for them to kind of not, not, not stuffy. Yeah, like well, us. that's what I mean. I think London has that feel sometimes, doesn't it? It's a little bit transactional. It's perhaps, um, you know, sometimes quite, quite cold. Sometimes I don't know. Like whereas American, mm. like you said, they are just sort of like overly kind of friendly and and there and and happy to sort of to make conversation. So I imagine it is quite easy to do business with them because they're probably happy to have a conversation. They're fairly engaged, or you know, maybe if they're not going to necessarily. I don't know, buy your products or whatever, like at least they'll kind of entertain the conversation and then maybe point you in the right direction as somebody who who will. Um, yeah, I, I can see definitely them being a better place to sort of to do business than London. Like you said, we are quite um, stuffy, maybe. Um, so, yeah, I can imagine. There's, there's an element of kind of playing to, um, con you know, kind of protocol and process and, oh, you do this or you do that and there can be elements of hierarchy and class that still pervade into the way that we do business mm. right yeah do you know what i like though the fact that they put on that that quote straight away on their website um i mean straight away it just shows they're quite like forward thinking but also you know like you said they're, they're kind of willing to like to rock the boat um and i don't think mm. you get that very often like people play it very safe they want to perceive to other people that they've like got all of their like their shit together basically do you know what i mean like they've got everything in order they know what they're doing Whereas yeah. like these guys are saying like, yeah, we're, we're not a safe bet, but actually that might be my, like, more exciting for you guys. The, 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 the stereotype of VCs is America and the West Coast in particular, you know, being, we'll make a whole load of different bets, but we'll bet that one or two of them will come off big. So we don't mind necessarily getting some of our bets wrong versus the European traditional kind of thing of let's, let's play it safe with our money and invest in areas that we know will offer us a return, even if that return yield is, is lower i kind of get the feeling that new york is the european has the best of the european bit in terms of an ecosystem that's close together but perhaps with that west coast mentality that american mentality of being a little bit more 
entrepreneurial even in, in where they're investing their money. Bit more street smart, right? I think, or that's what I would call it. A bit more, you know, up for a, up for a challenge um, and up yeah. for a fight, right? And and completely off topic, but that's how they used to compare boxes uh, from the East Coast and the West Coast back in the day, because they used to say, you know, if you're an East Coast fighter, you were just up for a brawl, right? And right. Um, uh, you know the, that the West Coast were a bit prim and proper. And I think if you translate that, I think. I think maybe New York and, and where kind of these guys are, they're probably like, well, you know, screw it. Let's take a gamble. Let's take a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a, a kind of punt on this. And then, yeah, you know, we'll see it. So it should, uh, yeah, it should be good. It's an interesting insight into the New York ecosystem. We're going to continue after the break. After the break, we're going to talk about the interview with Paul Roberts. He's founder and CEO of Cubient. And he's one of those founders who has thrived in the New York market. Here at Tech Talks, we're very lucky to have a lot of content and sometimes we're not entirely sure what to do with it. For example, when we go to a conference, we will quite regularly meet 15 or 20 people and not know how to get them all on the show. So we've created something new, Tech Talks Extra, for those snippets from conference floors or from one-off events that we don't quite know how to fit into your regular Tuesday show. Tech Talks Extra is free. It's on a private RSS, so you do need to sign up for it and subscribe. But as I say, it's free, and all you need to do is hand over your email address, and in return, we'll give you instructions of how to access all of that additional content. To get instructions and to sign up to the show so you can play it on Apple and Google podcast players, all you need to do is go to www.nashsquared.com forward slash the hyphen hub forward slash tech hyphen talks hyphen extra hyphen sign up hyphen form alternatively have a look at the link in the show notes probably a bit of an easier way to do it don't miss out on all the bonus content that we've got from the likes of web summit unleash world or from any internal events that we're running right as i said we're going to play an interview with paul roberts we'll hand over to that we'll come back with some commentary afterwards so i'm chatting to paul uh founder and ceo of cubient Make sure I get that right. Uh, how are you today? Doing well yourself. Yeah, good, thanks. Good. good. Um, pleasure to be here in New York and be able to talk to you. Before we get into anything else, who are Cubient? So we are a technology company that uh, has the very bold idea to clean up digital advertising uh, by using technology, machine learning, to not only understand who people are, uh, who's real, who isn't. You know, digital ad fraud is a massive problem right now. Uh, criminals are stealing anywhere from 50 to $100 billion, depending on who you want to listen to, from everybody from your local laundromat all the way up to the biggest brands in the world like Visa and Home Depot. And sorry, when we say uh, di- digital fraud and digital advertising, how? It's 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 kind of clickbait that, sure. that's, you know, that's actually sending someone to a link that's efficient. A attack, little or? bit more complicated than that. What the criminals are doing is they're creating a network of bots. Right. So this is very simple code that anybody can really build. But what they do is they build it to mimic human behavior and human profiles. So every day you go online, you have your laptop here, your cell phone, you go to certain websites, you start to build up a persona. You have NFL dads, millennial moms, you have everybody, soccer fans, everybody. <laughs> These criminals know that and they create bots that mimic those types of personas. So I have three kids. I go to ice hockey games. I don't travel far because I'm always with my kids. So I go to certain websites, certain behavior. They'll create a bot that mimics me. 
looks and feels very much like me. Goes all over the internet, picks up additional uh, cookies and, and personas, and then they finally send that bot to a website they control. Then all of a sudden, Ford, Visa, Home Depot, they say, oh, we want to we want to reach this audience. They serve an ad there. The issue is the bots right now, they're not buying cars. They're not getting credit cards yet. They're not buying pants. <laughs> so the brands are losing all of that money. Not only that, but they're getting a tremendous amount of data back from all of their digital advertising. That's getting fed into another machine. So we always talk about good data in, good data out. That's bad data in mm-hmm. because they're not really serving an ad to David or Paul or anybody else. It's really a bot. So regardless of what the behavior is of the bot, they're not getting any return on that investment. So we figured out that, you know, the companies out there that are focused on trying to prevent this, they're not exactly doing the best job. Uh, like every good entrepreneur, I could do that better. <laughs> so what, what, what is your background? How, how did you come to be in a position where you went, hey, this is a problem? Because, this is something I could solve. <laughs> you no, know, because I, I, I interview a lot of founders and sure. I know these problems exist. I didn't realize it was to the tune of 15 to $100 billion. Sure. How did you get to that point? So I've been involved in some sort of digital advertising since the late 90s. I started my career down at Wall Street. I had my Series 7. My, we were managing money for you know high net worth individuals, and somebody grabbed me and said, hey, I'm going to start this dot-com company. Why don't you come with me? Kind of took a deep breath, looked around, and said, all right, I've done you know, more foolish things than this. And I kind of fell in love with it. It was an amazing time for the Internet because there were so many new websites, different types of uh, environments where brands were putting out content, people were putting out content. But what we saw was, you know, for every new vertical or every new content, you had the desktop, you had, uh, you know, the cell phones, the criminals realized that they could basically steal money from the brands in different ways or another. What they're doing now is, like I said, they're, they're doing it in a programmatic environment. So all the media that you see today is bought and sold programmatically. It's all done in a very small window of time. You go to yahoo.com, hit enter, there's... Before you blink your eye, there's the website, there's the advertisement. So it's about 300 milliseconds. We understood that the criminals use that to their advantage because nobody was using the machine learning and AI in that window of time to identify, is this really Paul or a bot mimicking Paul's behavior? So I've bought a lot of media in my life. I've sold a lot of media in my life (laughs) and realized there's got to be a more efficient way. So there are companies that do machine learning and use artificial intelligence to identify, is this a real person or not? The problem is where they do it. They all do it after the brands spend their money. So we knew if we could build a technology that uses machine learning before a brand decides, should I run this at the poll or not, it would have a huge difference. Mm. And we just actually, after four years, we received a notice from the U.S. Patent Office that we're going to be issued a patent for this technology. So we thought that was incredibly important because of the fact that there's so many black boxes in technology. Mm -hmm. Oh, don't worry about it. We're going to reach your audience. (laughs) Oh, don't worry about it. This did well. (laughs) You don't really see the true data. So we knew to have a third party validate what we'd created was very important. So we've gone through that process, which uh, is painful to say the least. (laughs) To have a government agency understand technology and AI and ML and all that fun stuff is always fun. But here we are now with this technology we think is going to really be impactful because we want to keep the internet free. We want brands to be able to be confident that when they serve an ad, David might buy something, or Paul might buy something, not a bot mimicking our behavior. So let's, um, <clears throat> let's set some, some scene a little bit. Uh, the company's on the NASDAQ, right? Correct. How big's the company? By, uh, in terms of people, in terms of sure. how long's it been around? Sure, so we started the company about four and a half years ago. Yeah. 
going on the NASDAQ is a, an, an entertaining story because we were considering a Series A, we were considering all these opportunities, but the, the public markets realized again the upside of digital advertising. Oh, this isn't going away. <laughs> Not only that, but now we're starting to hang TVs on our wall that are connected to the internet. Mm. So this is only going to continue to scale. So it was kind of one of those right place, right time moments. And uh, at our peak, we were at about 62 employees. And earlier this year, with a financial climate, the hangover of COVID, all these other fun things, we cut our staff in half. And we did that. It was an incredibly hard decision, number one. But number two, we did that to understand that we've built this technology. We have a very seasoned executive team. There's a lot of people out there that would benefit from moving into, moving their much, much larger company into a company like Kubian, getting the upside of the public vehicle, access to capital, access to the technology, all those fun things that come with it. So look, you're someone that externally people would look at and go, successful entrepreneur, running a successful business. Yeah, okay, there have been some challenging times, but you're in a market where there's a very clearly defined need and, and you have a solution that can meet that. Um, I've been at Web Summit two weeks ago in Lisbon. Yep. 71,000 attendees, 2,000 speakers. Stage upon stage upon stage of people getting up and eulogizing about how to do X, how to do Y. And look, I, you know, I, sure. I love Web Summit and I, I love the content that's out there, but there is a lot of, there is a lot of very positive reinforcement there amongst the community sure. itself. What are the, what are the challenges that are overlooked in that story when we get to the point of, of everyone going on stage and, and being re, very evangelical about, about the founder and entrepreneurial story? Well, I think the challenges we, we jokingly talk about with other founders is everybody wants to celebrate the success. They're not always aware of the journey or the pain that it took to get there. The sacrifices both as a founder and a team made. You know, there were times where, you know, I've had success in my life and, and was in a comfortable position. And my wife always says, I have entrepreneurial ADHD. I see a problem. I have to solve it. <laughs> we saw this problem. We had to solve it. And we basically pushed all of our chips in the middle. You know, my wife at one point said, I don't care what you do. Just don't touch the kids' college money. <laughs> you've maxed out the credit cards. We're beyond that. You've refinanced this. You've done that. You've put it all in the middle in my mid-40s, where at that point I should have been somewhat of a, a coast at that point. <laughs> so I think, number one, it's a, a little bit of a curse for certain founders where you always want to continue to innovate, continue to build. But to your direct question, it's a lot of people see from the outside the success and how great it should be. But the reality is it took a lot to get there. And some of those sacrifices, you miss a lot of, you know, I have three young boys at home. You miss a lot. You're on a plane a lot. You're, you're all over the country. You're all over the world. You know, you're in Lisbon. You're, you're all over the place. So you have to, as a founder, understand what you're going to give up and understand what's the end result. Is it monetary? Is it a good feeling that you, you solved a huge problem? Mm -hmm. So very early on, I said, okay, if we can get our patent filed, we can get this company public and we can really start to show brands that there's a solution. I've kind of done my job and we're almost there. It's interesting you bring up travel because it's something that obviously has been curbed Correct. Uh, by the pandemic. Is it coming back, do you think? It is. And I think it's coming back with a roar because there's so much pent up demand. Yeah. I've been at conferences where typically people are shaking hands, a couple fist bumps here and there. I'm seeing a lot of hugs, <laughs> people who truly miss each other, yeah. where you knew, okay, I'm going to San Francisco for this conference, or I'm going to you know, Aspen for a retreat. I know who I'm going to see there. I'm going to see these five people that I've seen for the last 10 years of my career, and we don't see each other. 
And I think everybody misses that physical connection. Travel can look very glamorous to those who don't do it. To those who do do it, they often talk about the disadvantages. Correct. <laughs> How do you balance that? How do you balance that as an entrepreneur where, as sure. you said, there, there, is a, there is a home life and a professional life. It's hard enough when you're going into an office and coming home late, never mind when you're Correct. gone for two weeks out of every four. Correct. The strain that it puts on the household, your, your significant other, your wife, your husband, whoever it is at home, they also struggle with it. Um, so you have to, number one, I've met a lot of entrepreneurs where I say, tell me about your significant other. And they kind of look at me sideways and what do you mean? You know, I'm here to raise capital. What do you mean by that? And I said, it's so critical that you have the support at home or else you're going to have a very hard time. You're going to have to give 110%. Whoever's at home is also going to have to give 110% because you're going to be in San Francisco and Aspen and Lisbon. So I think it is very glamorous, the dinners, the, the cocktail parties, etc. But you always go back to that hotel room where your family's at home, your loved ones are at home, your team is at home. <laughs> you know, a lot of times that's impactful also. So I think it's uh, you have to have a very good balance of understanding you can't live on the road. You have to be home. You have to be in the office. Uh, and that also relates to everybody wanting to work remotely. You know, we, we haven't seen a huge drop in performance, but I truly believe morale is impacted by people not seeing each other. So we try every few weeks or so, get everybody together, whether it be a board game, a night, a couple of drinks, uh, dinner in the city, something where people could actually see their coworkers. Hmm. Because I'm sure you're in the same situation. You get a Zoom calendar in the morning. There's an agenda for each meeting with two minutes left. All right. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving. Talk to you soon. There's none of that serendipitous conversation of, hey, you know what? I was giving a little more thought to the problem we had. So I think companies have had to start to think a little bit differently of putting in those unscripted moments. And that's challenging with a Zoom call. Yeah. We are here in New York. Um, a lot of people have said to me over the last couple of days, hey, what do you make in New York? <laughs> what do you make in New York? <laughs> ah, not the question I was going to ask. I like it, though. Yeah. Um, what do you think, though, makes this an interesting environment as a founder. And I ask that because I think the East Coast is overlooked from a British and European perspective. You know, when we're when you we're thinking the about Europe, Valley or San Francisco. Yeah, we sure. immediately think of the sure, West the Coast of of LA, of the Bay, of sure. exactly all of those areas. Sure. We don't really talk about the East Coast much. I think it's interesting because you have such a combination of finance, media, technology and arts, which I don't think you find all of those at such a high level anywhere else. You'll have obviously, you know, one or two of those in different areas, but you can literally go into a, a conference with the head of investment banking from a firm, one of the hottest rising fashion designers right next to them, <laughs> and then the leading CTO from a fintech company that everybody knows about. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you see that as much in certain geographic areas in this country, uh, and also just the access to those types of people where I mentioned to you earlier, if you're polite, which is interesting, you return phone calls, you return favors, people will typically do favors for you. And New York is one of those places where you never know where one of those favors might lead or an introduction. You know, one of the best introductions I ever got was to an investment banker who eventually did our IPO, where his wife was doing a startup and trying to figure out e-commerce and all these other things. And it was an introduction of, hey, you think you could help this guy? His wife is trying to figure out why is she getting so many chargebacks on her credit card because she's got this beautiful e-commerce company. And I said, because they're not real. What do you mean they're not real? Well, they're bots. 
what do you mean bots? Like Rosie, the bot from the Jetsons? No, it's, you know, but it, it's, it's entertaining how you think about this path, how that weaved its way to all of a sudden we were doing an IPO. So I don't think there's many other places in the U.S., at least that I've seen, where you can have those types of interactions that lead to such amazing outcomes, mm-hmm. where you can meet somebody at a dinner or, or a, you know, I always talk about my kids and their sporting events. I've met so many incredible people and parents that we've ended up doing business with through those types of interactions where it's not necessarily, okay, I didn't go there looking for that, but it's New York. Everybody knows somebody in finance. Everybody knows a good lawyer. Everybody knows a great doctor. (laughs) So the last question, we've touched on a number of different areas, but what would be your one takeaway for someone who is at the start of their entrepreneurial journey, (laughs) is about to learn all of these lessons? (laughs) What, What advice would you impart to them? I think the, the one characteristic that sometimes does not get discussed is perseverance. I've met a, a million smart people and a lot of them have failed because they couldn't keep accepting rejection and moving on. That is one of the characteristics I see over and over again in some of the more successful people I've met. They're not the smartest, they're not the brightest, they're not the most you know connected, but they hear no, it's not necessarily a permanent no, it's okay. I appreciate your input. I appreciate your opinion. Let me go get another opinion. And that was something with Kubian where every time we tried to tell people we're going to use a type of algorithm in this window of, of you know time, it can't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. And then finally we talked to somebody at uh, Amazon Web Services and their machine learning team, and they said, we've actually been playing around with this. We think it can be done. So we'd like you guys to be a beta tester of this type of a server, and it led to us being able to do it. So I think that perseverance aspect, you could have all the financial capital in the world, you could have the smartest team, you could have the greatest idea, but you're going to hear no so many times as an entrepreneur. And your ability to absorb that and understand, they just don't get it. Keep going, keep going, keep going, because somebody will understand. As long as you know in in what you've built in the technology or the product you're offering, you have to keep going. And that perseverance is, you see it in some of the best entrepreneurs in the world. You know, I love guys like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs, and they, they would just say, these people just don't understand yet. I haven't explained it properly. <laughs> but it's been fascinating to talk. I, I think it's, there's some really great insight there for people at the start of the journey, but also really interesting to, to hear about the problems that you're trying to solve. So thank you for coming in and making some time to talk to us. I appreciate it. Pleasure meeting you. Right, his wife talks about the fact that he has entrepreneurial ADHD. Um, I quite like that. I, I, I get the impression he is a restless um, entrepreneur. He is a restless soul who is always looking for the next idea, which is what makes a successful founder, yeah. right? Yeah. Sort of. Well, one element of it anyway. Yeah, I really like that though as well. I think um, if it's your own business and you're like building it from the ground up, like surely you would be, wouldn't you? Because like it's your money, it's your time, it's like everything you're sort of putting on the line to make it a success like surely you would be just restless like to make sure that it just goes and becomes as big as it possibly can be like if you're going to do it like half-heartedly like in my opinion you probably should just not bother because um you know you just want to make sure you're just giving it everything you possibly can and just then you can walk away and say right I, I literally put everything I had into that and if it's not now taken off that's kind of no fault of my own almost so um yeah I love and I like yeah. the way he's like phrased that as well. It sounds quite sort of like quirky, doesn't it? 
And if you have a look at his LinkedIn, he talks about the fact that over the last 20 years, again, this, this is the difference perhaps between America and, and Britain culturally, he has conquered digital advertising, brilliant, and is happy to share the ups and downs as a mentor to other startup founders. I don't know, I'd probably have to go back and have a look at our guests' profiles, but I think it's rare to see someone being so open in that first tagline, less about them and what they've done, but more straight away, yeah, I've done that and I'm happy to share my advice. Mm. Yeah, I mean, again, it's nice because I think that idea of like, I don't know everything or, you know, there are going to be mistakes on this journey and I'm happy to kind of like give you my time and tell you what my mistakes were in the hope that you won't make the same mistakes. Or if you do, you know how to kind of rectify them and, and sort of work from there. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's very like generous of him to kind of give up that time and, and give up, you know, um, yeah, give like give his insight and give his stories to kind of help other people. Um yeah, I mean, that's nice. Like I say, it's, it's nice that he's sort of willing to do that. And, and hopefully that offer will be taken up by many of people and then they can kind of, you know, make their businesses a success off the back of that. Digital advertising feels like a boom area as well at the minute. Uh, obviously, the World Cup's going on at the minute. Huge amount of adverts going to be thrust in people's faces, different screens. Kind of getting an understanding about your audience and being able to monetize that, especially when those ad spaces cost so much money. It's it's This is one interview, but we, we interviewed 10 different founders uh, whilst we were in New York, I, I found it quite telling that five of them were in the digital advertising space. Oh, really? Do you, th- do you think? Um, do you think that's because of like the way it's it's all kicking off from a like B two B perspective or a B two C, where you can't necessarily now just advertise to a certain group of people in a certain place, and it's now you know the kind of customer bases are so. I don't know, like widespread and people are kind well, it's of... fragmented, isn't it? It's a very yeah. fragmented marketplace and it's difficult for advertisers to know who their audience is. Yeah, exactly. But it's also, it's weirdly enough, right? So I was reading something last night and it was about, um, seeing as you mentioned, the kind of World Cup and stuff, and it was about the, the kind of Louis Vuitton photo and how they used kind of two of the best footballers in the world and, and kind of, you know, who their kind of market was and what they were trying to do with it right and it was basically one of the um someone from uh like an american university that teaches i don't know global marketing or something basically said that now in order for you to kind of i I guess grow your customer base or to grow your kind of profits and revenues you need to you basically need to bring in you know a couple of different generations of people or you need to you know, you need to make things relevant, right? Which is why a lot of the times at the moment, if you look at like Christmas adverts that will come on UK television, it will have someone, you know, who's like an up and coming YouTuber that I have no idea about, but then they'll have someone who is big in the nineties and that's how they, they'll generate kind of their customers and people and stuff like that. And it just kind of got me thinking to stuff that I've seen and I'm like, oh my God, yeah, like, you know, that's where... You know, now if they want to get to Gen Z people, for example, or whatever, then there's not just one place to go, right? Um, you don't just, yeah, like you don't just go to, I don't know, TikTok or whatever, but you, you go, you know, somewhere else. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's massive, man. Um, and, and it should be interesting. You bring up Gen Z, like it's hard as well, because we all consume media differently. Like we know for a fact that there is less attention span on content. I'm not saying Gen Z have less of an attention span, but I'm saying they have less... Of a span oh, yeah. of attention for 
going to get myself in trouble with any, with any Gen Zers that we know. Uh, but they expect content to be punchier. Mm. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, if you take like yeah. TikTok, for example, yeah, TikTok, it's literally going to say like TikTok, yeah. for example, like it's what, like, I don't know, like 30 seconds, like 40 seconds of video. And it's a case of like, I mean, I, I don't have it, but as in if people on entertained or engaged in those like 30 40 seconds they'll like swipe straight up and they'll move on to the next one so yeah. you've got and it's not just entertainment it's where they where they, where they get the news where they get yeah. get, get informed on shit. yeah it's so true it is i think it's just like we like things like punchy things like you say that sort of like make an impact yeah. super quick or if not we'll just kind of switch off and, and go on to the next um it does worry me because that, that could be quite polarizing because it's difficult to have a nuanced argument in 40 seconds it's either this opinion or that opinion this position or that position it's not really kind of let's let's weigh this up from both yeah, sides no I, I see what you mean i think as well it's like if there's content there that like you recognize or you can connect to like almost instantly so say like in that 30 40 seconds there's like i don't know a celebrity or something or you know something that you can instantly be like i know that person and you know i know what sort of direction this is going to go into also almost like easy watching do you know what i mean again i'm not saying they just kind of digest like yeah. easy stuff but um yeah like easy watching whereas if you have to take a couple of minutes to almost like get your head around it or you know you need to sort of like catch up like I said and make a like an informed sort of like opinion off of the back of it it's unlikely that you're going to do so because you have to sort of take a second to almost like digest it and sort of acknowledge what's going on whereas like Akish said, if it's mm. like a celeb or something advertising like a pair of trainers, you're like, oh, well, I like him. So therefore I like those trainers. Um, and it's, I think it's just like as easy as that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, horribly simplistic, but I just think sometimes it's just a case of like, yeah, that guy's wearing those trainers and therefore there's I'm going to wear those. There's that YouTuber I know. Yeah. <laughs> there's that YouTuber I know. But yeah, yeah, God. Right. Anyway, we've got a slightly off topic. Um, hopefully that gives people an impression of what's going on in the New York scene at the moment. Again, as we said to any Americans, happy Thanksgiving. We are going to shift gears slightly for the last couple of minutes. Akish, last week we had Thomas Vosper on the show. He was off to slush in Helsinki. He was. He sent us a voice note as we requested him to. So have a quick listen to this. So halfway through the second day at Slush, uh, I lost my voice uh, probably a couple of hours ago, which is a pretty fair reflection to share about what's been happening here. Uh, there are still thousands and thousands of people walking around. There's so many meetings taking place. If you're a investor or a startup founder, absolutely 100% recommend that you think about getting yourself out here next year. Uh, of the few talks I've managed to take in, they keep them short, snappy. Uh, they're you know normally like 20 minutes. Uh, the setup is like nothing that I've ever seen, and I've been to events for like Shop Talk in Vegas or NRF in New York. Like this is run by Alice Things is run by this, the local students. And it's got such a vibrancy uh, that when you have people walking on stage, like they're coming onto stage like a pyrotechnics, like a, there's a laser and a light show, and like smoke machines going off everywhere. Like then every single person on this stage, whether they are the CEO of Revolut, who I met yesterday, or you know some uh, like student building a startup out of university and they get the five minutes on stage, they're all treated like rock stars. So it's such an incredible atmosphere. Uh, for London and Partners, we've had a stand today, so that's been busy. There's been a lot of um, proactive investor conversations. People are deploying money, and they are trying to find good startups. Um, yesterday evening was a long one with lots and lots of parties going on. There's, there's more side events here than um, uh, than you could probably even uh, imagine. Thank you, Thomas, for sending that voice note through. A couple of things that stand out. 
that everyone's treated like rock stars. Yeah. From the CEO of Revolut to, to, to a student building a startup at a university and that students are heavily in, in, engaged in the volunteer effort at the event there at Slush in Helsinki. For either for anyone who's, who's, who's not aware, who's listening, going, what, what on earth are you want about? Slush is one of Europe's primary startup-focused um, conferences that happens every uh, November in Helsinki. I'm so glad you said that, because I was about to say, what the hell's Slush? Like, I was literally, I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I was thinking, um, my mind instantly went to, like, you know, Slush puppies? And I was like, I'm sure it's not that, like a big event of what like you get yeah scared i was thinking i was no. like is it just a big event of slush puppies and i was like no probably not but i'm glad you mentioned that dave good to hear that london uh, london and partners busy good to hear that money's being deployed that's what we like to hear especially at the moment when um you know we know that we're entering a recession we know that things are getting tight um, but amazing to hear that an event is giving such a platform to new startups to students and to new ideas to that bit that we're talking about with regards to to new york and that it's, you know, a diverse environment, it's easier to do business. Um, you know, an idea of a, of a ship in port is, is safe, but that's not what ships are meant to do. It's, it's all of that same ethos. It sounds like there's a lot of energy in the sector, whether you're on the, the east coast of the US or, or you're in Scandinavia. Mate, it, sound, it sounds pretty sick, to be fair. Um, and also, for someone who's losing his voice, I mean, his voice note kept on going on and on, so I mean, that's probably not helping him, um, to be completely fair. <laughs> But, I'm very grateful to him for sending yeah, that voice. Yeah, no, no, I, I respect, I respect the, uh, you know, the, the report and kind of the feedback. But I mean, you know, save your voice. And I, I think rather than the interviews, he's probably gone in on the parties a bit too much. Uh, you know, having having only it's met where him business online, gets done it, at these it, things. It is where business gets done, correct? But you know, having only met him for a little bit, um, you know, I thought, um, yeah, I don't know if it's unfair to say or not, but he, he definitely. You know, it seemed like he, he likes to have a party. Um, but yeah, it's just... Uh, I forgot what I was trying to say here. I was basically... I'm, I was basically I'm sorry, saying, Thomas. Yeah. No, I won't no, be sending you any more voice notes now. That's your last. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I like a voice there. It, it explains things better. Um, but what I was saying, the point I was actually trying to make here, um, was that, yeah, you do get given respect and it should be like that. And it should be a bit more of a, you know, equal playing field or platform i guess because then you don't have people feeling embarrassed like you've got revolut for example and mm. then you've got i don't know probably got chad some sort of uh, american you know college graduate who's built some sort of api or something with a couple of his Love mates he's called and, chad oh i don't know I was just trying to use or chuck. brad you use brad <laughs> chad you know chuck um you know something something like that um but yeah, like, you know, everyone's given the same amount of respect because everyone is there, yeah. you know, trying to get on the same hustle. Yeah. Um, I was going to mm. say, they've all probably, like, started, well, they all have started at the same place, do you know what I mean? They've all been there. So you've got your, your revolutes out there, and obviously now they're great and they're doing really well and they're successful. But yeah. at one point, there was only probably that exact same person sat in a very similar sort of situation. So, yeah, they should exactly. have that same level of respect because they've all been there. They've all been through that journey. So, you know, hopefully they can only sort of help one another to make sure there's more companies coming out of these things. It's only last week's show. We had Claire Carljamal, um from Society General, Chief uh, Innovation Officer there, talking specifically about the fact that it's only a few years ago that Revolut had a small stand, a small startup stand, and there they are headlining shows. All ideas are good ideas, and you've got to give oxygen to those people if we're going to grow yeah. stuff, and you've got to give them oxygen, support, and backing. And I think 
one of the nice things that's come across across all of the interviews that we've done in recent weeks is there's a you know, tap back into that thing about New York and community. There appears to be community in the in the in the tech system at the minute, tech ecosystem, where people realise it's tough. Money is being deployed, but it's difficult at the minute, and and people need mm. support. I tell you what's been really nice as well, actually, like where there's been a lot of layoffs recently in tech companies. You see a lot on LinkedIn of like people rallying together. Um, you know, a lot of like sharing of posts, but also a lot of people of like, you know, making recommendations or just trying to put as much content out as possible to kind of help each other. So I think there's a sense of community like forming there as well, which has been really nice to see. Obviously, it's not yeah. nice to see these layoffs, but just nice to see that like that level of kind of camaraderie and stuff coming off the back of it. Um, yeah. So you're right. There's yeah. definitely a level of community kind of coming out of this. I think I think egos, right? Egos have been um, like not crushed, but but dampened a little bit. And I think where a few years ago, you know, anyone that went through rounds A, B and C of funding and was this used to walk around at these events, you know, chest pumped eye and, you know, brand new kind of Nike Air Forces on and all this sort of stuff. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, look at me and all this sort of stuff. And I think now they've just kind of gone, well, actually, everyone's trying to do this. And if we work in collaboration, we can all win together rather than just one of us winning um so i think yeah. i think that, that that's a lot better in my opinion good point however if you would like some new nike air force <laughs> then uh aisle three is an excellent place to get your new your new trainers your new sneakers so it is very good thomas thomas bosper see what i did uh, there found... oh it's the transition good, is almost good as good as saves uh start to the interview sometimes no, oh, tell you what. See, see that transition. I'm, you know, I could have gone any item of clothing, but because I knew it was aisle three, Nike Air Forces. We love a bit of aisle three. Thank you, Thomas, for being our, our reporter uh, from Slush last week, guys. Thanks for joining me. Um, to anyone who's listening, as we said, who's American, Thanksgiving, Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great time on Thursday. Everyone else, enjoy the sales bonanza on oh. Friday. It's coming home. <laughs> <laughs>